Don't you sense the presence of God's Spirit in this place today? Amen. I invite you to open your Bible to your Bible to the book of Acts. This week's reading had us in the second chapter of Acts, and so that's where we'll be today. And I encourage you to pardon me. encourage you to find your copy of God's Word and look with me to Acts chapter number two today, and that's where we'll be. I hope that you're continuing with the reading and, uh, and the daily reading of God's Word that we're doing together as a family. This morning, I'm going to ask you to be carefully uh, attentive, and I'm going to ask you today not to be distracted. I'm going to ask you today not to be a distraction. I'm going to ask you to listen carefully and closely. Let's keep our movement to a minimum. And I'm going to ask you today not to surf the web or text message or look at social media while we're here to worship God. I'll ask you to resist that temptation and to focus and hear what God has to say to our hearts today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 2, we're going to read beginning with verse number 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Amen. Amen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and a prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being formed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. And they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Amen. Father in heaven, I pray that you speak to our hearts through your word today. And Father, we think about the early church and the growth of the church, the outpouring of your spirit, and how the church was born and, and grew, and, and Father, how your spirit worked in a powerful and mighty way. God, do it again. 
in us, among us. Father, I pray we would learn lessons from your word today. Holy Spirit of God, I pray you would do business in our hearts today. And Father, I pray that you would take our cold hearts and warm them and set them on fire. Father, for some of us today who feel distant, I pray that we might be drawn near. For those of us who feel discouraged, I pray that we might be encouraged. For those of us who feel hopeless, that, Father, hope would be born in our hearts and souls again. <coughs> For those of us who feel shame and guilty, that we'd find the cleansing work of Christ in our hearts and lives and minds and thoughts. <coughs> Father, for those of us who seem to be addicted and held captive, I pray that we might be fine released today. There's no shortage of power with thee. May the name of Jesus be magnified today. It's in his name we pray, amen. You may not have read about this yet, but there's a work of God happening in a place called Wilmore, Kentucky. At the Asbury Theological Seminary and Asbury College, a Methodist school that's located just south of Lexington. The school experienced a sense of revival in 1970. And in 1970, in the chapel of that school, there were seven days of continuous worship and praise of God. <coughs> what God was doing there in that Methodist school spread out to other places and other college campuses all over America. It helped fuel the Jesus movement of the 70s. Students from that school went to the school where I attended several years before I got there. And the whole school experienced revival from the testimony of those students who came from Wilmore, Kentucky. It was amazing. This Wednesday, in the chapel service at that Methodist school, God began to work. It was a typical campus chapel. Some of the students were there on their phones, not really paying attention. Others were there thinking about their homework or their assignments or the class they had to go to. And they didn't have a powerful speaker that came in. It seemed like a routine chapel. But toward the end of the service, some students began to testify to the goodness and greatness of God and how God was changing their life. And some students began to confess sin in their life and got honest about their spiritual condition and faculty as well. And the chapel service concluded they stayed in the room and began to sing and pray. It was spontaneous. It was unrehearsed, unscripted. 
students were drawn back to the chapel. And before long, the whole chapel was filled with students. And the word spread and people began to head toward the small town because they heard revival was taking place. They'd been in a continuous worship service for over 80 hours. And God is moving powerfully. Some folks came from Ohio Christian School and revival has broken out in that campus. Students from the University of Kentucky, the University of Louisville, missionaries from Georgia. People have come from all around. Bill Elif, Elif, who is a very reformed thinker and theologian and pastor, he writes, yesterday, my wife Holly and I decided to make the nine-hour drive from our home to Wilmore, Kentucky, to observe and experience what God seems to be doing once again at Asbury University. And I'm grateful we did. This past Wednesday morning, the Lord moved in another chapel service in Hughes Auditorium. That single service has continued morning and night, and now is in its fourth day. He was writing this yesterday. I talked to one of the leaders who was there on Wednesday. His observation was that these last days have been days of consecration, <coughs> but we are yet to see what could happen in the days ahead. I hesitate to even write of this because I've only been here one day, but this is what he sees. First, this is real. God is very present. Secondly, 700 gathered in the morning hours, but the crowd filled every seat in the auditorium to 1,500. Since Wilmore is exclusively a college town with very little else, the crowd's primarily students, although many, like myself, are coming to see what God is doing. Students from other colleges are here, having traveled from across the country. The leaders of Asbury are very aware of this, evening commissioning them at one point today to go back and cry out for revival on their campus. Worship is glorious, unified, and simple. A piano and a guitar led by various student teams who understand that worship is not performance. Amen. The altar is almost always full. Wonderful prayer counselors are helping them. Wise leaders from the university are helping shepherd the moment. Number eight, it's not weird. Everything's extremely orderly, but vibrant, spontaneous, and powerful. In some ways, it's worship-based, spirit-led, scripture-fed prayer gathering. It is just what we should be doing all the time, waiting before God. Worshiping him, praying to him, listening to him, responding to him, being shepherded by wise leaders who see themselves merely as facilitators of God's activity. The Holy Spirit is a very good leader, by the way, far better than men. Amen. And when the microphones were opened for testimonies, 
There were long lines of grateful people telling what God had done for them in the last 72 hours. Healing, both emotional, spiritual, and physical, has happened in glorious ways. Bill Ellif writes, within the first hour, I had moved from a spectator to an humble participant. The unity and the worship are heavenly. No pretense, pride, or show. No manipulation. You don't want to leave. The scripture was read this afternoon for a long time by multiple people washing over the congregation. And after each scripture, the response was, Quote, the word of God, and we believe it. People seem to be moved by Christ deeply, not merely by emotion, although emotions are present. How could we not be emotional if God's in the room, in power, and lives are being transformed? Elif says, pray for Asbury and pray for your church and the churches and the people of your city and cry out as never before, pleading with our reviving God to be merciful to us. Ask God to search your heart, remove anything that's quenching the flow of his spirit and ask God to speak through your church this Sunday with a wind that will not stop. Amen. <coughs> my friends, when I read this, my heart was warmed and encouraged. I thought about a hymn that we used to sing. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Heal, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Father in heaven, I pray that we might experience real renewal and revival in our hearts in our church, in our families. Lord, it's not sensationalism we seek. It's not emotionalism that we seek. But we seek you. We want you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I want to talk about the birth and the growth of the church First of all, the foundation of the church is built on Jesus Christ. The church is often compared to Scripture to being the body of Christ, the building of Christ, the bride of Christ, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, the temple of the Holy Spirit, God's field, the body of Jesus. The church is founded on Jesus Christ in a personal relationship with him. Peter said, when Jesus asked the question, whom do men say that I am in Matthew 16? And they told him a list of prophets. But he said, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter piped up and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, 
Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not stand up against it. The church is built on Jesus Christ, and he is the foundation. It's built on Christ. It's built from those who confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. A church is a congregation of confessing believers that Jesus, that confess that Jesus alone is Messiah. They've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they're committed to obey him as Lord and Master. The church is not a movement, it's not a memorial society, it's not an organization, it's not a social group, it's not a denomination, it's a living community of faith. First Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than what's been laid down, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. Amen. It's his church. The question is, who is Jesus to you? I think that's a very personal, important question today. Who is Jesus to you? Would, you? would you think that question with me? Who is Jesus to you? My questions: is he the Lord of your life? Is he the master and the king of your life? Is he the love of your life? Are you in love with Christ? Do you want to obey him? Do you want to know him? Is he the power, is he the purposeful center of your life? Is he the authority in your life? Is he joy to you in your life? Do you have joy in him? Is he your song? Is he your counselor? Is he your comforter? Is he your teacher? Is he your Lord and Savior? Is he your high priest? Do you love him? Do you tell him that you love him? Do you worship him and adore him? Do you love to meet with him and with his people? And do you tell others about him? Do you? You don't have to be around me very long before I share a, grand, a grandchild story. Why? Because I love him so much. I hope you don't have to be around me very long before I tell you about Jesus. Because he's the sweetest name I know. Amen. And there's none that compare to him. Thinking about the formation of the church, in Luke's gospel, chapter number 24, verse 46, Jesus said, look, I'm sending what my father promised. But he says, as for you... Stay in Jerusalem until you're empowered from on high. In the book of Acts, chapter number 1, and verse number 8, you have your Bible. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Amen. In Acts chapter number 1, verse number 12 to 14, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives 
which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James. And they were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Do you see them all united together in prayer? The promise that the Holy Spirit would come to tarry into Jerusalem until that one, the Spirit of God would come, the promise of the Father. Do you see them? The promise of the Lord Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses, in Jeru both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. And notice they're tarrying there, and when the day of Pentecost arrived, chapter 2, verse 1, do you have your Bible? Look with me. When the, the day of Pentecost, that's 50 days past past. Pass, Passover. In chapter number 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound, notice they hear it. Suddenly a sound like a violent rushing wind came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they're staying. Not only did they hear the sound, but they see something. Verse 3, they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Wow, God powerfully working. They're all together, they're unified, they're praying, they're seeking God. It's the day of Pentecost. They hear a mighty rushing wind. They see like tongues of fire resting on everyone, each one. And they were filled with God's spirit. And when they began to speak, they were proclaiming Christ Jesus. And it, it came out of their mouth. And God did such a work that other people who didn't speak their language could hear it in a miraculous way. God was at work. Amen. In verse number 14, Peter seizes the moment under the inspiration of the Spirit. He stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Pay attention to my words. These people aren't drunk, as some of you think, because it's nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what's spoken through the prophet Joel. He said, this is that which was spoken. This is the prophecy being fulfilled. And then he quotes the prophecy. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your young men will see visions. And your own men, old men will dream dreams. Wow. Notice he says, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to, God's going to pour out his spirit. And both men and women are going to be proclaiming the good news of Christ, prophesying and preaching. And young men and old men, young men are going to see visions and old men are going to dream dreams like they're new and young again. It's going to be amazing. 
And I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. And I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs of the earth below, and blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. This is a precursor to the coming day of the Lord. It's the outpouring of God's spirit. On God's people. Wow. Would you have loved to be there that day? What is the fundamental message of the gospel that they preached? Notice in chapter number two, verse number 22. Peter finishes with verse number 21 on that passage of Joel. He says, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 22, now listen to what he says. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. It wasn't that long ago that Jesus walked the streets of Jerusalem. It wasn't that long ago that Jesus lived around the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't that long ago that Jesus was teaching and ministering and healing. So the very first part of this sermon here, he talks about the life of Jesus, verse 22. But then he begins, goes directly from that to the death of Jesus, verse 23. He was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. God was working even when we were doing our worst. God was doing his best. Notice verse number 23, the second half of it. But you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Well, he's not trying to, I mean, he's not being too seeker friendly here. You killed him. So it's the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, but then he moves to the resurrection of Jesus. But God raised him from the dead, ending the pains of death. It's not possible for him to be held by death. David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You've revealed the paths of life to me and you will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He's dead and buried in his tombs with us today. Everybody in Jerusalem knew where the tomb of David was at. David speaks this in prophecy, but it's not of himself because David does die and does decay. But he's speaking in prophecy to the one who will come in the lineage of David, the Messiah. And he will not undergo decay. He's different than any other man that ever walked the face of the earth. Verse 30. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. And see what was to come. He spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He's not abandoned in Hades. And his flesh did not experience decay. 
God raised this Jesus, and we're all witnesses to this. Amen. That was his preaching. You can sense the power of it. The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the powerful proof that he's Messiah. But then he goes on to the reign of Jesus with answers the question of what is this thing you see today? He says, therefore, since he's been exalted to the right hand of God and received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you see and hear. Jesus Christ has victoriously defeated death. Jesus Christ has accomplished our work of redemption. Jesus Christ has ascended unto the Father. The Father has given him the promise, that the very promise that the Father made of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Christ has poured out his Spirit upon us. Woo! We are the people of God. This is the work of God. And it was not to David who ascended into heavens, but himself. The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty, God made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. Wow. There's none to compare to Jesus. This was the preaching of the early church. And my friends, if we are going to see a church, our churches revived, we need to get back to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ with authority and power and conviction. Amen. But finally today, what is the fruitful response of the church? And I want to talk about this for just a few minutes, but stay with me. How's the church respond? It says in, in verse number 38, they said, the, verse 37, they cry out, what should we do? The crowd, the congregation that heard this preaching, what, what do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. What is the fruitful response of the church? The evidence of real revival working? It's repentance. Repentance is a word that our culture doesn't want to hear. Our rebellion wants to do what we want to do. We want to go our own way. But what we want God to do is aid us and strengthen us and comfort us as we go on the way of pathway to death. But he calls us to a different path, a pathway of life. Why do we pray for relief for ourselves or others when we're walking in waywardness? God's mercy and grace and comfort doesn't come in our waywardness. His mercy will not allow us relief from pain on the highway of death because he calls us to turn, turn, turn. Why will you die? He calls us back to him, back to life, back to peace, back to abundance, back to healing on the pathway of life and righteousness and obedience. Repentance is a change of mind, a change of attitude, a change of your behavior, a change of direction, a change about your thoughts, 
your pursuits, your passion, your worship, and your devotion. It's a work of God in us. Turn me around, we just sang. Let me at thy throne of mercy find a sweet relief. Kneeling there in deep contrition, help my unbelief. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. There was a fruit of baptism. Baptism is of submission to God. Baptism represents a washing of regeneration. Baptism means you were dead and now you're alive. Baptism is an act of obedience. Baptism is closely linked in chapter 2, verse 38, to the forgiveness of your sins and reception of the Holy Spirit. I have much more to say on that, not time. Thirdly, incorporation into the body of Christ. That day, 3,000 were added that day. Can you imagine what a church problem that might be? <laughs> You've got a few people, and next thing you go, you just took in 3,000 infant Christians. Oh, boy. <laughs> and it was glorious because God was at work among his people. Wow. And they were added. They became a part of his church. Not only incorporation, there was a sense of devotion. Notice what they're devoted to, verse 42. We'll put verse 42 on the screen, maybe. Maybe, maybe we will, maybe we won't. Verse 42. Notice what they're devoted to. They devoted themselves to what? Name it with me. Number one. So they were a learning church. A spirit-filled church should be a learning church. Secondly, they, were, they devoted themselves to not, what, not only the apostles' teaching, but what? Fellowship. Fellowship. Communion with one another. Fellowship with one another. Fellowship with God. Fellowship with each other. Number three, to the what? Breaking, Breaking of what? Bread. Bread. What is that? Yeah, communion together, Lord's Supper together, remembering Christ together. Also, I think they took meals together. And to what? Prayer. Prayer. Prayer in the temple, prayer in their homes. Prayer was so hugely important. Wow. Thirdly, they were marked by generous giving. The fruit of generous giving, verse 44 and 45. All the believers were together. They held all things in common. Notice the unity. Verse 45. They sold their possessions and property, distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. They shared. They gave out of the resources. If they didn't have savings, they sold something and 
so they'd have money to help other people. This is generosity. It's, it's Holy Spirit-led generosity. There's no stinginess in their heart. Of course, I wasn't there when my grandfather was baptized, my grandfather Joe. His name was Joseph Newton Harrison and loved him dearly. He passed away and went to be with the Lord when I was only uh, in junior high school. But one of my dearest friends, his grandfather went to church with my grandfather. And one day I was talking to him and he said, I remember the day your grandpa got baptized. I said, really? He said, yep, never forget it. And he said, I was back in the back helping with the baptism. And he said, your grandpa decided to get baptized and he had his clothes on. And I said, Joe, you got your wallet in your pocket. He said, well, if, God, if God's going to save my soul, then I'm going to have my wallet baptized with me. And my grandmother said, when we had nothing, the first check out of his check was to God's work. They were corporate, they were worshiped corporately together. Notice the fruit of this, verse 46. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. Notice they were corporately worshiping God. There was a sense of unity. It says in verse number 46, they were together in the temple and they broke their bread together. I like the translation that says that they were one mind in the temple and together house to house. A sense of oneness and unity in the church. The Holy Spirit brings unity in a church, not division in a church. And there was genuine praise. Notice in verse 47, praising God, enjoying favor with all the people. Revival, renewal. And not only that, there was personal evangelism. Verse number 47. Every day the Lord added to the number of those who were being saved. God was doing the work of saving. Of course, God always does the work of saving. God was adding to their number. God's the one that grows the church. Amen. I planted Apollos water, but God giveth the increase. But how does he do it? He do, does it through the preached word of God's people. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Amen. We preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. And trust the Holy Spirit to do the work yes, of bringing people to faith and obedience. But we're disobedient if we're not preaching the gospel. Amen. And there was anticipation and expectancy and salvation of souls. The gospel is powerful. Amen. Amen. What are some takeaways? Number one, my question for you today, are you praying for God to work in our lives 
and our community. Don't be distracted. Stay list with me. Question to you. And if you are, I want you to say amen. amen. If you're not, you just remain silent. But are you praying for God to work in our lives and community? Amen. Do you see the Holy Spirit working in our lives and in our church? Amen. I do. But I want to see more. This is a question only you can answer. What are you devoted to? Where's your passions lie? Where's your values? This is a question to ponder this afternoon. And in your community group, I wish you would ask this question. How does our church compare with the early church? And then finally, maybe you'll respond with me in this. Will you pray for God to revive us again? Amen. Only he can do that. That's my heart cry today. Lord Jesus, revive us again. Let's stand together and we'll sing.